0: Welcome to NTD News Today, I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. House Republicans have released a report on the origins of COVID. They say it could be connected to a Chinese biological weapons research program. A newly elected school board member in Virginia is a new voice for parents who are concerned about critical race theory being taught to their children child exploitation online. Australian officials accuse some tech companies of not doing enough to stop it. Regulators issued a report after investigating. Former President Trump files a lawsuit against the board that awards Pulitzer Prizes. It's over awards given to media for reporting on the discredited Russia collusion narrative. A blow to school choice, charter schools will still face funding restrictions based on a Senate vote. How is politics playing into this and what does this mean for public schools? We bring you analysis. An eye-opening report was released yesterday by Republicans in the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. It concludes that there are indications that COVID-19 may be linked to China's biological weapons research program. Entity's Daniel Monahan has the story.
1: The American people deserve to know how this pandemic started, The report states the COVID virus may have been tied to China's biological weapons research program and spilled over to the human population during a lab-related incident at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Senator Rand Paul addressed this possibility at a Senate hearing back in August. If, and I underline if, COVID-19 leaked from the Wuhan lab, it would be a laboratory-created virus that the Wuhan scientists have not yet and are unlikely ever to reveal. Paul has often clashed with Dr. Anthony Fauci on whether the NIH-funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan. I maintain that the techniques that the NIH funded in Wuhan to create enhanced pathogens may have or could have been used to create COVID-19. Something Fauci has consistently denied. Here's Fauci on C-SPAN last year. Senator Paul, with all
2: due respect, you are entirely and completely incorrect that the NIH has not ever and does not now fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan
1: Institute. The report also accused American intelligence agencies of misleading the public and downplaying information by suggesting that the virus likely had no bioweapon origins. It stated that the intelligence community withheld key information from the public, information that could have been shared without damaging national security, It's said that such omissions likely skewed the public's understanding of key issues and deepened mistrust. The Republicans, with ranking member Rep. Mike Turner of Ohio at the helm, stated they would release more information to support their claim when Republicans control the House next year. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: The Ohio Supreme Court has rejected insurance coverage for COVID business losses. It ruled a company's insurance does not cover income loss, even if they took place under a state-enforced lockdown. The court released a six-to-one opinion that answered a question from the U.S. District Court for Northern Ohio. That court is considering a lawsuit filed by Neurocommunication Services against Cincinnati Insurance Company. Neurocommunication Services has argued that its all-risk policy should cover financial losses from the shutdown, which forced the company to close for several weeks in the spring of 2020 and endure unspecified financial losses. The ruling is seen as a boon to the state's massive insurance industry. Australian officials are accusing tech companies of not doing enough to stop child exploitation. A new report describes the findings as very disturbing.
3: Australia's eSafety Commission is an office set up to protect Internet users. It conducted a report on Apple, Meta, Snap, Microsoft, WhatsApp, Skype, and Omegle. The office says the findings are very disturbing and firms need to do more to address the scourge of online child sexual exploitation. According to the chief operating officer, some of the biggest gaps are in the area of detection of child abuse material.
4: So We know, for example, that uh, Apple's iCloud service, their cloud storage service, Microsoft's OneDrive service, aren't services where the scanning of child abuse material, known child abuse material, is done at all. That's particularly surprising when it comes to Microsoft because one of the most widely used tools to detect known child abuse material, photo DNA, was in part developed by Microsoft in 2009.
3: However, Microsoft received praise from the commissioner for its in-service ability to report on the exploitation of children. This information was provided by the companies after officials sent legal demands for information. They were given 28 days to respond to the notice or risk fines of over half a million dollars a day. At the time, the regulators said the country had seen a surge in reports of child sexual exploitation from the start of the pandemic, adding that technology was weaponized to abuse children. The commissioner says that we know there are proven tools available to stop this horrific material being identified and recirculated. But many tech companies publish insufficient information about where or how these tools operate and too often claim that certain safety measures are not technically feasible. The office says not all companies are doing poorly in this regard. Well,
4: some are doing a good job. Uh, Snap told us that they respond to user reports about child abuse material in about four minutes on average. On average, Facebook responds in about a day. But again, some of the biggest companies are really falling down. Uh, Two days is the response time on average for Skype to respond to a user report.
3: The office says speed isn't everything, but every minute counts when a child is at risk.
0: In a Virginia county with curriculum inspired by critical race theory, a new school board member says she wants to give parents a stronger voice. This is parents fight back against progressive policies. Entities Jessica Beatty has more.
5: On Wednesday, Tiffany Polifco found out she won a school board seat in the Broad Run District in Loudoun County, Virginia, by just 100 votes. People warned her she probably wouldn't win because she was a Republican endorsed candidate in a blue district.
6: I believe
4: Broad Run District needs a school board member who is principled and stands by her values and her morals.
5: But she told the Epic Times she thought it was the right time to campaign. Over the last two years, Loudoun County parents have expressed frustration over the school board's promotion of curriculum inspired by critical race theory, or CRT. CRT is a quasi-Marxist framework that views America as systemically racist. Polifko saw it firsthand. In March last year, her son came home and said his teacher asked him to identify his privilege as an oppressor. This alarmed her and she started researching she found out that Loudoun County Public Schools operated under culturally responsive instruction. The teaching approach is sometimes called the Other CRT. This concerned her as a parent, but also as a professional educator. Polifco has over 20 years' experience in special education in both public and private schools. She told the Epic Times, when we bring polarized identity politics into the classroom, that's propaganda. In May 2021, she started voicing her concerns about CRT at school board meetings, then later decided to run for school board herself. Now that she's won, she says she'll continue to voice her beliefs and vote on them. She says she may not be successful in passing policies because she's just one of nine board members, but she can be a new voice and a trailblazer for others who might want to do what she's doing. In a statement after her win, she said, I unapologetically stand for parental rights and curriculum free of identity politics. Children are the most important stakeholders in our school system, and they'll be my primary focus. (laughs) Jessica Beatty, NTD News.
0: A loss for school choice. Yesterday, the Senate voted down a resolution to repeal a Biden administration rule. It restricts funds going to charter schools. The White House rule stops private companies from using taxpayer money to open charter schools. But there are concerns that politics is interfering. That's because some senators like Cory Booker, who had supported charter schools, voted to uphold the rule. Joining me now is Corey DeAngelis, a senior fellow at the American Federation for Children and one of the nation's leading experts on school choice. Thank you for making the time for this discussion, Corey.
7: Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me.
0: First, what makes this rule restricting funds for charter schools burdensome for these institutions?
7: Well, it creates additional regulations for charter schools to get funding uh, to start up. Uh, So, for example, one of the regulations, there's a a bunch of them, but one of the most ridiculous ones is that the charter schools have to... uh, uh, they have to show excess demand among their competitors, the district government-run schools. Just imagine if McDonald's, for example, had to show evidence of Burger King uh, having a line out the door around the building in order for a McDonald's to open up in an area. That wouldn't make any sense. This regulation doesn't make any sense either for the charter schools that are voluntarily selected by uh, TENS OF THOUSANDS OR MILLIONS OF PARENTS ACROSS THE COUNTRY TO SHOW EVIDENCE THAT THEIR COMPETITORS HAVE EXCESS DEMAND. Uh, FAMILIES SHOULD BE THE the ONES DETERMINING WHICH CHARTER SCHOOLS OPEN AND CLOSE BASED ON uh, THEIR EXPRESSED DEMAND and, AND THE TYPES OF SCHOOLS THAT THEY FIND BEST FOR THEIR KIDS.
0: OKAY, THANKS FOR EXPLAINING SOME OF THE RED TAPE SURROUNDING THIS. SENATOR TIM SCOTT SAYS A VOTE TO REPEAL THIS RESTRICTING RULE IS A VOTE FOR COMMON SENSE. WHAT ADVANTAGES WOULD THIS HAVE, IF ANY, FOR PUBLIC SCHOOLS AND CHARTER SCHOOLS?
7: Well, school choice is a rising tide that lifts all boats. And we've seen all across the country, a new study just came out. uh, It was talked about in the Columbus Dispatch yesterday, finding that private school choice competition leads to better outcomes in the public schools. We now have 29 studies on the subject, 26 of 29 find positive effects of school choice competition on the outcomes for the students in the public schools too. So there's a benefit there. And then also students in charter schools should get the same amount of funding that they get if they were to attend their residentially assigned government run school. But the reality is all across the country, public charter school students receive about 27% less funding than students in their nearby traditional public schools. That's inequitable, it's unequal, and students shouldn't be punished just because their residentially assigned school doesn't work for them. This set of rulemaking and regulations from the Biden administration, which should have gone through Congress, by the way, this there's a legal challenge um, uh, still out there from the Pacific Legal Foundation that will probably undo these regulations in court. Uh, These regulations make it to to where students in public charter schools get even less funding than they would have otherwise gotten in their traditional school.
0: Corey, tell us a little bit more about this legal challenge, the timeline and what, what would need to be shown in order to present their case.
7: Yeah, the plaintiffs are represented by an organization called the Pacific Legal Foundation and their basic argument is, look, the Biden administration just unilaterally um, did whatever they wanted, regulated their uh, political opponents, uh, because, look, the truth is, Democrats overwhelmingly received the, the teachers' union's contributions. So this is a kickback from the Biden administration to the two teachers' unions who helped get him elected. Randy Weingarten, for example, her union, the American Federation of Teachers, of their campaign contributions went to Democrats as opposed to Republicans in the latest 2022 election cycle. And the legal case basically says, well, this has to go through Congress. You can't just snap your finger, create a rulemaking process to regulate uh, the charter school competition of the teachers unions. And so I think that that the Biden administration is going to lose this one in court.
0: Covered a lot of ground here. He talked about the legal challenge, equality and funding and competition for these schools. Corey DeAngelis, a senior fellow at the American Federation for Children, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. Former President Trump files a defamation lawsuit against members of the Pulitzer Prize Board after the board declined to rescind the 2018 National Reporting Prize. The award was presented to the New York Times and the Washington Post for their reporting on allegations of collusion between Trump and Russia. The allegations have since been discredited. The complaint says the basis of the reporting is demonstrably false and it gave, quote, a large swath of Americans a tremendous misunderstanding of the truth. The Pulitzer Prize Board defended its decision and refused to rescind the awards. The board said two independent reviews determined that, quote, no passages or headlines, contentions or assertions in any of the winning submissions were discredited by facts that emerged subsequent to the conferral of the prizes. The Justice Department has filed federal charges against an Ohio man for threatening an Arizona state election official. 44-year-old Joshua Russell allegedly left voicemails threatening to kill an official in the Arizona Secretary of State's office leading up to the midterm elections. If convicted on all charges, Russell could face more than 20 years in prison. The task force has brought at least six federal cases so far with arrests in Colorado, Arizona and Michigan for threats against election workers. The federal government is suing the state of Arizona for creating a temporary wall at its border. In August, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey decided to use shipping containers to fill in gaps along the southern border wall. Since then, the government has been battling with the state to have the containers removed. The government says that the barrier curtails access to border areas and accuses the state of environmental violations during the installation of the shipping containers. In response to the lawsuit, Ducey's office called the government's claims unfounded and inaccurate. The legal spat comes as the Biden administration faces a December deadline to terminate a Trump-era rule that allowed officials to turn away migrants at the U.S. southern border. A federal judge has set the expiration date for next Wednesday. Officials are now preparing for an influx of people looking to enter the country. Puerto Ricans could move a step closer to a referendum on statehood. The House of Representatives is set to vote on a bill outlining the process. A House committee approved the Puerto Rico Status Act on Wednesday, paving the way for the full House vote. The legislation lays out the terms of a direct vote, as well as three potential self-governing statuses, independence, full U.S. statehood, or sovereignty with free association with the United States. That last option is what's in place in Micronesia, Palau, and the Marshall Islands. Puerto Rico has about 3.3 million people. It became a US territory in 1898. Activists have campaigned for greater self-determination, including statehood, for decades. Opinion polls of Puerto Ricans are generally split. And still to come, commercial fishing boats try to comply with new laws aimed at protecting fish stocks, but some fishermen are getting caught up in questionable cases. And with travel unpredictability at an all-time high, we talked to an expert about the best way to prepare for a flight. More in just a moment here on NT News Today. A former Twitter manager is sentenced to three and a half years in prison. He's convicted of spying for Saudi Arabia by sharing user data and potentially exposing users to persecution. The case centered around Ahmad Abouamo's efforts to look up information on two Twitter users, a $42,000 watch he received from a Saudi official, and two $100,000 wire transfers. Abouamo oversaw Twitter's relationships with journalists and celebrities in the Middle East and North Africa. Prosecutors said he conveyed sensitive information from the company's systems to help Saudi officials identify and locate Twitter users of interest, potentially exposing them to persecution. Abu Amo's attorneys said that while he was at Twitter, his family was struggling. The attorneys also said his actions paled in comparison to those of another former employee who was accused of accessing thousands of Twitter accounts on behalf of Saudi Arabia. Elon Musk says a car carrying his two-year-old son, X encountered a, quote, crazy stalker in L.A. He says the stalker blocked the car from moving and climbed on the hood. He also shared this video asking if anyone recognized the person or the car.
1: Yeah, for sure. Gotcha. You. What's your
0: name? Musk also wrote that he is taking legal action against Sweeney and organizations who Musk says supported harm to his family. Musk tweeted that any account doxing the real-time location info of anyone will be suspended, as it is a physical safety violation. Doxing refers to searching for and publishing private or identifying information about someone on the Internet typically with malicious intent. Musk added that posting locations someone traveled to on a slightly delayed basis isn't a safety problem, and so it's okay. Meanwhile, Twitter has suspended an account that tracked the location of Musk's private jet. Jack Sweeney, a 20-year-old Florida college student, ran the at ElonJet account, used publicly available flight tracking information to build a Twitter bot that tweeted every time Musk's Gulfstream took off and landed at an airport. Sweeney also has dozens of other accounts that track the private flights of well-off Americans. These included Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates, Amazon's Jeff Bezos, and Meta's Mark Zuckerberg. Musk had previously said that an account following his plane was not being banned. Sad news from the National Cancer Institute. Its new director, who in August was nominated by President Joe Biden to lead the organization, is now battling the disease herself. Dr. Monica Bertinelli was diagnosed with early-stage breast cancer in November. It comes after she took over the post in October. Bertinelli said in a statement Wednesday that she will have surgery and may need additional treatment, but that her prognosis is, quote, very favorable. She adds that she will continue in her role and take leave as necessary. A New York man is headed to prison in connection to Michigan's ongoing investigation of the Boy Scouts of America. Wednesday, the state's attorney general announced Mark Chapman has been sentenced to 12 to 20 years in prison after pleading guilty to one count of first-degree criminal sexual conduct. He was also sentenced to 10 to 15 years behind bars for a charge of second-degree criminal sexual conduct. It's the first prison sentence in the case. Officials say Chapman abused two minors for years while he was involved with the Boy Scouts of America. His sentencing was part of a plea agreement where Chapman also agreed to register as a sex offender for the rest of his life. A Maine-based startup is helping boats comply with new laws to protect fish stocks. The company is one of several trying to capitalize on the demand for sustainably caught seafood. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the controversial regulations.
8: Fisherman Al Catone hopes boat cams can help preserve the world's fish. The Massachusetts captain had his boat outfitted with several cameras earlier this year.
3: So it's in, in a way it's a policeman. You know they want they want to have an accurate count of every single ground fish that's coming aboard, and every un, you know anything that's undersized going overboard.
8: On the other end of the cameras, Mark Hager watches crew members hauling the day's catch aboard.
3: One of them biggest thing is we have the ability to rewind. Um, as an observer, I could think back and think, was that a, a spiny dogfish or not? But uh, as a video reviewer, you're able to click rewind, go back and actually um, even contact a coworker and ask them to help you out, make sure you have the species identification, right?
8: Today, 35% of commercial stocks are overfished. According to the U.S. International Trade Commission, an estimated 11% of U.S. seafood imports come from illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing. Scientists want reliable data on tens of thousands of fishing vessels, but commercial fishermen still view cameras warily. Just ask Scott Taylor. NOAA used the videos to bring civil charges against him last year. He says it was an accident.
1: And in our case, we
8: employed gear that was legally deployed um, within the open area. The, the gear crossed the, the Bahama EEZ um, about 190 miles north of the Bahamas. The result was a hefty $300,000 fine that almost bankrupted Taylor's business. The fallout has also frightened scores of other fishermen. This is our own government imposing a fine on us for an incursion that, that nobody else was even aware of other than our own agency. Some scientists fear that initiatives like these could backfire. America's fishermen already face a burden of regulations. As a result, more fishing could move overseas, further out of view of conservationists and consumers. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: You can pack, you can prep, you can arrive at the airport five hours early, but sometimes what you don't know cancels your flight. Even the most seasoned travelers can be stymied by weather woes, airline chaos, or illness, and if you've stayed home for the last two years, you may be in for a bit of a shock when you hit the airport. So what can you do to prepare and protect your travel plans? Here are a few tips from the experts on how you can return home for the holidays without the hassle.
9: You may be dreaming of a white Christmas, but for the millions of Americans taking to the skies this holiday season, snow in the forecast could turn that dream into a nightmare.
2: Weather changes everything, so that's really going to be the the killer.
9: Experts say a little preparation can go a long way. Clint Henderson, managing editor of the Point Sky, says knowledge is power when hitting the friendly skies.
2: Know what other airlines fly the route that you want to fly. The things go sideways. You're able to rebook yourself.
9: He recommends downloading the airlines app and following them on social media to get the latest updates on any delays, cancellations, or system meltdowns that can cripple air traffic and avoid potential catastrophe by booking direct flights, plan for a hotel, stay if you get stranded and keep a flexible itinerary if your plans do go awry be your own best advocate
2: if your flight gets cancelled you really want to be the first one who gets a hold of customer service to get rebooked on one of those few seats that are still available
9: airlines too may be more prepared for the holiday travel rush after last year's christmas time covid surge saw airlines crushed with staff shortages
2: they are staffed somewhat better they have reduced flights so there's, there's more give in the system, there's less likely to be a domino effect.
9: And to avoid additional angst at the airport, be sure to arrive early, avoid checking your bags, and take advantage of programs like TSA PreCheck or CLEAR to get through security with a little less stress.
0: Many American jobs are taxing, but some more so than others, and that could play a factor in everyday life. According to the Department of Labor's Occupational Information Network, urologists have the most stressful job in the nation. Film and video editors have the second most stressful job, followed in third place by anesthesiologist assistants. Others in the top 10 include acute care nurses, judges, and retail supervisors. The findings are based on nearly 900 jobs in the U.S. A report by Mental Health America titled Mind the Workplace 2022 says most people will spend at least one-third of their lives at work, and 80% of those polled say work-related tensions play a factor with personal relationships. And coming up, Congress is examining the human rights situation in China. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says China's violations have only increased since it joined the WTO. And China has removed six officials from a British embassy. That's after a violent beating outside the Manchester consulate in October. We'll have the details soon when we return. to have you back. The Senate passed a bill Wednesday night to ban TikTok from U.S. government devices. Republican Josh Hawley of Missouri sponsored the No TikTok on Government Devices Act, which passed by unanimous consent. While the short-form video app has more than one billion users worldwide, there are fears the Chinese regime could misuse customers' data. Since the Trump administration threatened to ban the app over national security concerns in 2020, a number of states have cracked down on its use. While the Senate has taken action, a companion bill that was introduced in the House last year is currently stuck in committee. ByteDance is the Chinese company that owns TikTok. Representatives did not immediately respond to a request for comment. A meeting of the Congressional Executive Commission on China, or the CECC, looked at the human rights situation in China over the past 20 years. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi commented, saying in the two decades since Beijing joined the World Trade Organization, human rights in China have taken a dramatic downturn.
6: As we
5: all know, the commission was established as the People's Republic of China acceded to the World Trade Organization. In 2000, I took to the House floor to urge my colleagues to block China from the WTO, arguing that we should not put deals ahead of ideals. Because as the world's strongest economy, America has a moral duty to link our trade relations with human rights. I just told you how casual and cavalier the Chinese were about obeying the
0: rules of the WTO. Pelosi pointed to Beijing's failure to comply with the norms of the WTO, warning that the world should no longer sit idly by. She also called out Washington for giving Beijing a blank check, leading big business to prosper at the cost of small companies and American workers. And she urged the world to stop putting business before ideas and delinking human rights from trade. She cited Hong Kong, Taiwan, Tibet and Xinjiang as examples of China's suppression of human rights. Pelosi is stepping down as Speaker of the House, but in her last address at a CECC hearing as the leader of the Democratic caucus, she said she'll continue to speak out for human rights in China. Beijing has dropped six officials from their posts in Britain following the violence outside the Manchester consulate in October. UK Foreign Minister James Cleverly said this includes the consul general. In mid-October, dozens of Hong Kongers demonstrated outside the Chinese consulate in Manchester. There, banners and signs decried the ruling Chinese Communist Party and its leader, Xi Jinping. Footage shows one protester appearing to be pulled into the Chinese consulate grounds and beaten. The man later recounted his injuries at a press conference. The protest took place on the first day of the latest CCP Congress when Xi secured a third term as the party leader. The incident sent shockwaves through British politics and society, with members of parliament demanding that the government expel the Chinese diplomats involved. The consul general, however, publicly admitted his violent tactics against the Hong Kongers, insisting that it was his duty as a diplomat.
3: We informed the uh, Chinese uh, embassy uh, of that, and we set a deadline which expired today, making it clear that we expected them to take action. In response to our request, uh, the Chinese uh, government have now removed from the UK uh, those uh, officials, including the Consul General uh, himself.
0: Cleverly added that Manchester police had demanded the six officials waive their diplomatic immunity so they could face interrogation. But before that could happen, Beijing dismissed the officials. Cleverly welcomed the move, saying, quote, This demonstrates that our adherence to the rule of law, the seriousness with which we take these incidents, has had an effect. A Chinese student attending the Berklee College of Music in Boston was arrested on stalking charges yesterday. U.S. prosecutors say he threatened and harassed an activist for posting flyers supporting democracy in China. The 25-year-old student Xiao Lei Wu allegedly told the person he would chop their hands off if they posted more flyers. The activist who posted the flyers is a U.S. lawful permanent resident from China who has family there. The flyers said, "Stand with Chinese people. We want freedom and we want democracy." The criminal complaint says Wu demanded the flyers be torn down in a Berkeley-focused WeChat group whose 300-plus members included the activist. He wrote that he was reporting them to the public security agency in China and warned their family would soon be, in his words, greeted by them. Authorities say they believe Wu was referring to either China's Ministry of Public Security or the Ministry of State Security. Both agencies investigate political dissidents, including those who voice support for democracy. Wu also allegedly asked others in the chat group to help find out where the activists lived and doxed them by publicly posting their email addresses. He was arrested and released later in the day after appearing in federal court. The charge of stalking carries a sentence of up to five years in prison, three years of supervised release, and a fine of up to $250,000. The Chinese capital, Beijing, has seen a surge in COVID-19 cases as the country reopens. While strict COVID policies are being relaxed, confusion is taking over. Here's NTD's Tiffany Meyer.
10: China's strict zero COVID-19 policy may be rolling back, but chaos has taken its place instead. In Beijing, relief over the widespread reopening has quickly turned to fear. Residents are staying home, many shops are closed, and streets remain empty. Only the drugstores are busy, with customers flocking to bulk buy flu medicines. Just a few weeks ago, the country's officials still praised the zero-COVID policy as scientific and bound to, quote, pass the test of history, with draconian measures like locking down an entire community for just one infection. Now, suddenly, they're saying COVID-19 isn't a big deal. But is the country really ready for the sudden U-turn? In cities across China, confusion reigns without a coherent plan for a safe COVID-19 exit. For example, state computer systems are overwhelmed. And staff reached through COVID-19 information hotlines say they are not sure how the new policy will work. And there's also confusion at the local levels, as cities can now administer their own virus control rules. On top of the changes, experts say the country is not ready to reopen yet. That's due to several factors. Low vaccination rates, low efficacy of homegrown vaccines, and not enough health care capacity. Now, everyone in China is bracing for a so-called exit wave. That's referring to a surge in cases, like the one that swept across Hong Kong back in March, when it suddenly relaxed restrictions. If
0: you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And just ahead, with inflation running at 10%, British nurses went on strike today. It's their first ever walkout, and it's putting a crush on hospitals. The president of the European Parliament promises reforms to rebuild trust. That's amid the fallout of one of Brussels' worst corruption scandals. More shortly, here on NTD News Today. National Health Service nurses in Britain stage their first ever national walkout today. The strike is a bitter dispute over pay with the government and it ramps up pressure on already stretched hospitals at one of the busiest times of the year. An estimated 100,000 nurses will strike at 76 hospitals and health centers. That will result in the canceling of 70,000 appointments, procedures and surgeries in Britain's state-funded NHS. Britain is facing a wave of industrial action this winter, with strikes crippling the rail network and postal service, and airports bracing for disruption over Christmas. High inflation is stoking tensions between unions and employers. The strike by nurses today and December 20th is unprecedented in the British Nursing Union's 106-year history. But the nurses' union says it has no choice as workers struggle to make ends meet. Nurses won a 19% pay raise. However, the government has refused to discuss pay. The European Union has spent the past few days reeling from one of the worst scandals to hit Brussels in decades. Four people were arrested on connection with an ongoing corruption probe. It involves alleged payments and gifts from Qatar to members of the European Parliament, or MEPs, and their staff. The most prominent of those arrested is Greek MEP Eva Kaili. Both Qatar and Kylie have denied any wrongdoing. Speaking earlier today, European Parliament President Roberta Mazzola sent a strong message on the work that needs to be done to rebuild trust.
6: First of all, of course, these criminal proceedings involving the Parliament are damaging. They are damaging for democracy, for Europe, and for everything that we stand for. Trust that has taken years to build but only moments to destroy will need to be rebuilt. And this work starts now.
0: Metsola said Parliament would look into non-government organizations listed on its transparency register. She said it had already struck off No Peace Without Justice, a campaign group whose secretary-general is one of the three others also charged with corruption and money laundering in the case. No Peace Without Justice said its secretary-general suspended himself from his role to safeguard the organization and that the group trusted the investigation would show he acted correctly. The Russian military has loaded a Yars ballistic missile into a silo launcher in the Kaluga region. It's regarded as further sign of the importance it attaches to its strategic nuclear deterrent. The Ministry of Defense released video to mark the event just ahead of Russia's Day of Strategic Missile Forces. It said that an intercontinental ballistic missile of the Yars complex was loaded into a silo launcher in the Kaluga region. Russian Commander Alexei Sokolov said the importance of the operation lies in the fact that the missile will be on combat duty as planned. And Russia will receive another sample of nuclear missile weapons, which will allow the country to solve any tasks at the strategic level. A routine spacewalk by two astronauts aboard the International Space Station was called off. Flight controllers noticed a stream of particles spewing from a docked spacecraft. The apparent leak was visible in NASA's live video feed. It looks like a torrent of snowflake-like particles spring from the rear section of the Soyuz capsule. A NASA commentator said it seemed to be liquid escaping from the spacecraft, possibly coolant. The leak began about 8.30 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday. NASA said none of the space station crew are in danger. The two astronauts planning to go out were Russian. An official for Russia's mission control operations near Moscow communicated to the two cosmonauts in a radio transmission. He said their spacewalk was canceled while engineers worked to determine the nature and origin of the leak. The Soyuz craft arrived at the space station in September. The spacewalk was already postponed once before in late November because of faulty cooling pumps in the cosmonauts' spacesuits. Turning to news from Peru, the country is now in a nationwide state of emergency after a week of fiery protests that left at least eight dead. The special emergency powers mean the police can limit the right to assembly. The protests began when former President Pedro Castillo was impeached on December 7th. Castillo was arrested after illegally trying to dissolve the nation's Congress. Castillo's former vice president was sworn into office after his removal, and her presidency has divided other Latin American leaders. Social media video showed protesters burning an image of her and shouting demeaning language in the streets of Peru's capital. The political upheaval has sparked angry and sometimes violent protests around the country, especially in the rural and mining regions. Protesters have blockaded highways, set fires to buildings, and invaded airports. Authorities said eight people, mostly teenagers, have died in clashes with police. And coming up, Christmas shopping is in full swing in Sydney, Australia. Shoppers are enthusiastic in the spirit of giving despite rising inflation. And motorcycle groups are breaking depression for Australia's military veterans. The members help each other find resources for life after the military. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Welcome back. Christmas is quickly approaching, and gift shopping is in full swing. Shoppers in Sydney are spending big despite rising inflation. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on the customer's return.
8: Australia's economy slowed a little in the third quarter. Sky-high prices and rising interest rates weakened consumer spending power. But after three years of pandemic lockdowns, retailers have decked their halls with Christmas decorations again. They're ready as shoppers hunt for gifts.
3: Maybe everyone's just in that festive mood, so you're just kind of just spending because you just want to spend. So I think, yeah, we do feel it, but it's it's not, we don't feel as much because it's just Christmas right now. I think we're still spending because it's just gifts.
8: While some missed out on Black Friday savings, others said Christmas was a time to indulge family and loved ones. But doing so this year will be harder.
4: I think there's always, you know, uh, a desire to spoil people in your life, particularly at Christmas. Um, So there is definitely a pressure there, I guess, more internally. I think to an extent, definitely. Like, we, we do spend. We will spend more at Christmas time than we might normally not, um, particularly given the inflation and that sort of thing. I know a lot of people like hustling me for my
7: like wish list before Black Friday to try and get my presents on sale. Um, but yeah, no, I, I've left it to last minute. I feel like I'm just going to have to blow the budget, unfortunately, this year.
8: Paul Zara is CEO of the Australian Retailers Association. He said the amount Australians spent during Black Friday was a surprise to retailers.
3: Most Australians were trying to avoid price increases, which which is why they brought some of that shopping forward. But equally, uh, retailers went out and and made sure they had the best deals on offer, which really encouraged spending. It also meant consumers were able to shop and have their products secured and delivered prior to Christmas.
8: Sarah added that the Black Friday sales in Australia gained momentum through the pandemic. He also said consumer Christmas spending will hit record levels this year. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Australia's military veterans are turning to motorcycle groups to break depression. The groups give the veterans a vital support network. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the riding therapy.
8: This motorbike group from Canberra consists of military veterans, active duty and their families.
2: A lot of them have been through the same good times and same bad times, whatever it is for them, but they they can just come
1: along and talk about it. To be able to connect with people who have had the same experiences, it just makes you feel like you have an avenue and you have support.
8: There are just over 20 members in the Australian Capital Territory, but they're part of a brotherhood that spans the country. All ride to support each other.
1: It gives us a chance to sort of unwind from the rigours of daily life, but a lot of us are dealing with, you know, mental health
2: conditions. We've had a couple of members who do require uh, constant reassurance that they're not straying off the wrong path.
8: The members also help each other find important information and resources for life after the military.
2: I've got someone to talk to and chat with and things like that and, and they feel like I'm, I'm fit in
8: but the support they offer extends beyond their monthly rides.
2: Once you're out of the military, it's extremely hard to get that pathway back into the information you require, unless somebody else has been through it. It
1: can be as little as if someone's moving house, just all getting together and help them move house, take the stress away.
4: Anytime we go somewhere for like dinners and stuff, we encourage everyone's family to come.
8: It's a motorcycle brotherhood that offers camaraderie for those who miss it most. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Still to come, a French couple opens their home to display their incredible collection of nativity scenes. The scenes come from all around the world over many decades. And the White House carries on the gingerbread house tradition. This year's model honors the administration of President Richard Nixon. We'll be back with more soon here on NTD News. Apparently, the city of light is still très chic. For the second time in as many years, Paris is the winner of the Top 100 City Destinations Index. That's according to a UK-based market research company, Euromonitor. Their report calls France's capital city, quote, the world's best-performing destination because of its attractiveness and tourism infrastructure. Of course, having the Eiffel Tower and French bread doesn't hurt either. Dubai came in the runner-up spot, followed by Amsterdam, Madrid, and Rome. New York City was the only U.S. location in the top ten, and it came in at that spot, just behind number nine, Barcelona. Over the last 30 years, a French couple has collected nearly 1,000 nativity scenes from over 60 countries. Every three years, they open their homes for visitors to view their collection. Let's take a look.
11: In a northern French town near Lille, a couple has transformed their basement into a small museum of nativity scenes. They have amassed a collection of 922 pieces from 68 countries.
6: This really allows us to discover the world through nativity scenes.
11: Their collection started when husband Jean-Pierre was gifted Veronique a traditional nativity scene three decades ago. From there, the collection's pieces multiplied and now features nativity scenes of all shapes and sizes. Some are made with ostrich eggs, chocolate, banana leaves, corn husks, and even face masks. Jean-Pierre said they began to exhibit their collection ten years ago.
1: We started this exhibit because in the past we were displaying them at home privately and our friends told us, why not put up an exhibit to share with other people? We thought about it and said, why not?
11: Many of the nativity scenes they have acquired during their travels around the world but some were handmade by the couple and their family.
6: My favorite nativity scene is this one, which has more of a sentimental value. It's our family's own nativity scene. We bought it with our children and my in-laws throughout several years.
11: For Jean-Pierre, his favorite is one made with gingerbread and sugar, bought from a Christmas market. The couple displays
6: their collection once
11: every three years
6: we're catholic so religion is the foundation for this but then i also think that the nativity scenes are representative of all aspects of our daily life for me this is really about sharing warmth with family friends hosting and welcoming lots of people
11: a friend said the exhibit was very important for the community especially after three years of pandemic
1: Today this is a place of community. Everyone is here. Everyone is in a good mood. Everyone is happy.
11: The exhibit will stay up until early January and around 3,000 people are expected to visit.
0: Holiday time at the White House wouldn't feel complete without a gingerbread house. This year's decoration is now on display at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Let's take a look.
2: The gingerbread tradition continues to spice up the holiday spirit at the White House displayed in the state dining room. A gingerbread mansion this year honors the administration of President Richard Nixon.
8: Well, the history of gingerbread in the White House begins generations ago when there were sweets and other gingerbread elements. But the beginnings of a actual gingerbread house were in 1969 with Mrs. Nixon and the then uh, pastry chef who was German. And so it was a custom in Germany to have the gingerbread made in an A frame. And that's what the first shoe looked like.
2: Since then, White House pastry chefs have been making replicas of the executive mansion. The 2022 model shows the north and south fronts of the White House decorated with white piping, red and white candies, gumdrops and candy canes. Despite the scent of gingerbread, this 300 pound creation isn't edible. Every year since 1981, When first lady Nancy Reagan gave approval, the White House Historical Association has designed an ornament honoring a president or a key White House anniversary.
8: And that is the theme of our ornament this year. And you can see it here, this beautiful gingerbread looking White House with the North Portico. And then if you can see on the reverse of the ornament, the South Portico as well.
2: The association is working its way through all 46 presidents. Next year, the ornament will honor President Gerald Ford.
0: And not just the White House, Norwegians are also celebrating Christmas with gingerbread. Let's take a look at the world's largest gingerbread town. People and angels, reindeer and bells, houses and castles, gingerbread comes in all shapes and forms in this mini town. Since 1991, thousands of children and volunteers have gathered in Bergen to build the little city. The landscape features everything from local landmarks to trains, cars, boats, and international icons. And the tradition is catching on as more Norwegian cities are jumping on the miniature bandwagon organizers in bergen say profits from the display are will go to a relief agency that serves underprivileged children an annual tradition at the university of illinois has reached a milestone just before its final
2: day oh what fun it is to ride in a one horse open sleigh now jingle bells jingle all the way oh what fun it is to ride in a one horse open sleigh hey
0: jingle bells Dial a Carol, where anyone can call to request a holiday song be sung to them live, was hit 5,000 callers this year. The callers say they get callers from all over the world. The volunteers are mostly students who dedicate part of their finals week study time to sing, all in the name of spreading joy and kindness. Dial a Carol has been going since 1960, making it the longest-running tradition in the University of Illinois Housing Department. The line opens for 24 hours a day, one week, in December each year, and it's totally free, but it ends at midnight. So call 217-332-1882 if you'd like to hear a free holiday carol sung by live singers. A new study says eating cranberries may slow cognitive decline and improve memory function. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body.
4: Eating a variety of fruits and vegetables does wonders for our health. According to a new study from a university in the UK, cranberries are worthy of your attention. These humble berries aren't just for Thanksgiving. A new study shows that cranberries offer incredible neuroprotective benefits. Researchers from the University of East Anglia have just discovered that eating cranberries may slow cognitive decline. They may also improve memory function and cholesterol levels. The scientists studied people between the ages of 50 and 80 years old. Each participant ate a cup of cranberries a day for 12 weeks and the results were impressive. Adding a cup of cranberries to your daily diet can prevent many diseases. Cranberries are rated highly as a preventative measure against cognitive decline. That's because the berry is chock-full of anthocyanins and proanthocyanidins. That's what gives the fruit its dark red color. Plus, each cranberry is full of antioxidants, has anti-inflammatory properties, and is full of micronutrients. These vital nutrients go a long way in protecting brain health and cognitive function. How to improve cholesterol levels through cranberry consumption was also looked at. Researchers found that the LDL went down significantly after consuming cranberries daily. Fresh cranberries are challenging to find year-round, but cranberry supplements are widely available. You can find them anywhere vitamins are sold. In conclusion, cranberries can definitely help keep your brain healthy as you age. This makes them a worthy addition to your diet.
0: That's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.